Hi, everyone. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, the host of this podcast and the founder of CoveyClub.com. If you're liking our podcast, I know that you will also like the Covey Club. Covey's a small group of birds, an intimate place where you can find like-minded women who are looking to expand their circle of friends. Finding friends as you get older can be hard. Women you meet on the soccer field fly away as their kids go off to different schools and interests. And over time, you know who you work, your work friends are. Covey Club has so many great services to help you make new friends. We have articles that take you through the new friendship how-tos. We have weekly classes given by experts in every field, creating a place for new friends to gather and chat. We even have a book club. And I'm really looking forward to our live spa trip in November where we can finally all meet up in person and I can give each one of you, my new friends, a hug. Come and join the Covey Club during our special subscription campaign from January 5th through February 14th and save a bundle. So Claudia Mott, who is a CFP and CDFA, which I didn't know what that meant, um, certified divorce financial analyst, um, didn't understand those numbers, um, says she was genetically engineered to be a numbers person. Her mother was a numbers person. She got out the bills. She paid all the bills through the various times of the husband's unemployment. And she said her dad's path would be long um, in and out of employment in what he did. But her mother was the one who handled all the bills. And she landed on Wall Street and she scored very big there. She did very, very well there. And she said eventually she got burned out and she stepped out just before one of the bus that came along. And she said she took some time off to be a mom and she was driving her daughter around to preschool and she heard an ad on a radio about financial planning and she decided that would be great for me. And she started doing it part-time and she took an 18 month program and that's how she found her way into financial planning. And what she really found her way into was divorce planning because, and you'll have to listen to the story if she can tell it. She ended up getting divorced also because when she started doing her own taxes and digging into them, she found out money in her family was going somewhere else that her husband hadn't told her. So she has a wonderful history of having been there, done that, being financially savvy, being smart, being intelligent. And guess what? These crazy kooky things with money can happen to anybody. And what she loves about now helping women who have been in similar situations, she does more than just divorce, obviously, um, she can be there for them as they take control of their lives and they learn to live them. And that's been what her whole work has been about. So I'm really excited to bring Claudia Mott to the Reinvent Yourself podcast. And here she is. 
So wonderful to have you on, Claudia. I've been looking forward to this. This is a topic that our listeners love, but are afraid to admit they want to hear about in person. So we're going to do it by podcast where they can be the only person listening and we can talk directly to them. Well, I am thrilled and excited to be here. So thanks very much. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, your background on Wall Street and how you got to be a certified financial planner um, yourself and talk a little bit about your own personal reinvention of how you got to be doing what you do today. And, and give us a little bit about, you know, where'd you grow up? I always kind of like to know that. And, you know, what'd your parents do and, and kind of what led you into the financial world? Well, I always like to start that uh, answer with, I was genetically engineered to be a numbers person. Uh, My dad was an engineer uh, in the manufacturing area. And my mother, you know, who was a housewife for most of her uh, early uh, married time, um, had to keep our family afloat during some really long periods of unemployment. And she was the numbers person. She was the one who made sure the bills got paid. And um, I have one of my earliest money memories of her managing our bills in this little brown accountant's binder uh, where she'd figure out what she could pay this month and what would have to be put off. And I guess that's always kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And uh, when it was clear that my dad's path of unemployment of was going to be long. She went to H&R Block and became a tax preparer uh, when I was in high school and retired from that career at the age of 87 two years ago, having left H&R Block and, and started her own practice. So uh, that's always in the back of my mind. It's part of you know who I am. Um, I landed on Wall Street totally by chance. And I took a risk by taking an interview with a brokerage firm who was using a computer time sharing service that I happened to know well because I was working at the firm. Uh, Was scared as could be, did a little Mary Tyler Moore when I landed in New York City from a small town in northern Massachusetts and ended up with a career that I never could have imagined um, being an analyst for a big sell side firm. Uh, meeting clients all over the country and the world, um, being able to learn so much about the stock market and what makes it tick. Uh, It was just an amazing stroke of luck, really, in some ways. Um, And I did that for 13 years. It was uh, a phenomenal experience. And after I have three children, two are biological. My daughter is adopted and once that family was put together, I was struggling brutally with the time commitment that that Wall Street career meant, Uh, being on top of the rankings as I was, required a lot of travel, a lot of working on the weekends, and I started to burn out, and uh, mutually, my husband at the time, and I agreed that it would be okay if I stepped out of that and stayed home. So I left the industry just before the internet bubble burst. Some, some laugh about me causing that because I left the business uh, and just took some time to be a mother, uh, which turned out to be um, incredibly important to me. Uh, and it was a transition that a lot of people couldn't quite fathom. Uh, and then the next iteration actually happened 
one day I was driving my daughter to preschool and there was an ad on the radio for the financial planner program at a local university and this light bulb just went off in my head and I said, that's it. Uh, that's the perfect next step for me. Uh, I love numbers. I learned about the markets. I love dealing with clients. I got great reviews for client service and the financial planner industry is so client uh, focused that it was a, a great uh, asset to have on my behalf. Um, so I started that program and as they say, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> Talk a little bit about that transition. How did you make that transition then? You're being a mom. How long were you out there just being a mom? Uh, it was, I was out being a mom for about four or five years. Um, I had started doing some part-time work at a lo local stable. I am and will always be a true horse freak. And that was a great part-time place for me to just have something to do while they were in school. and at the end of that period of time. So it was around 2005. I learned about this program, applied to it. It was an 18 month program and I was able to go part-time during the day. Uh, so again, it fit really well while they were in school uh, and then, you know, didn't interfere with my need to be around after they were home. And I went through the coursework and the exam is a two day process and realized uh, when I failed it by two questions that trying to get divorced and pass the certified financial planner exam was not a winning strategy. Uh, so I actually had to take a step back, let the divorce work get finalized, uh, and then restudied and passed it the second time I took it. But it was heartbreaking to know I literally missed it by about two questions. Um, and then once I finished the exam, what was really disappointing was that the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards wouldn't accept my Wall Street career as work experience because it had been outside of their uh, statute of limitations. So I went to work for a few planners uh, in my area on a part-time basis to learn a little bit about the business, understand what they did, how they worked with people, what client needs looked like. It was actually a great learning experience and it allowed me to gain some important information and that, that, inform and that work time that I was gonna need for the financial planner board to allow me to then use the CFP initials after my name. And in the midst of that experience, I learned about this divorce financial analyst certification and I knew that that was gonna be even more interesting because it was a person who I would have loved to have had during my own divorce, helping me understand some of the financial questions I had, helping me think through the settlement scenarios. So I did that certification, it was a little bit less intensive. And once I finished that, I, I launched my company because uh, I was hopeful that I was gonna be able to be on my own. Uh, and did a little bit of divorce work while I was continuing to do that part-time work to finish the CFP requirements. So that's what the CF CDFA is? Is that what that is? Yeah, CDFA is a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. Oh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. And you had your own issues with money and divorce, right? Am I correct? 
Oh my gosh, yes. So, you know, the Shoemaker's Children's story that you hear all the time, you know, here I was, this, you know, big Wall Street analyst, never paid a darn bit of attention to what was going on in my own family financial picture. I mean, I did the bills and everything, but, you know, the tax return would get done by my mother, we would sign it, it would go off. And then all of a sudden, one year, my husband was said, you know what, I'm going to do the taxes this year. And I was like, ah, okay, no problem. You know, I signed them and off they went. So fast forward a few years and, you know, I find myself in the midst of a divorce and start doing some of my own forensic accounting because I realized, oh, there's a bank account on that tax return that I didn't know anything about and realized that that was where his paychecks were going and he would put enough in our bank to make me think that it was, you know, his paycheck and the rest of it was going to support some other things that were going on outside of the marriage. Can you talk about that? Because that's what oh, got absolutely. you started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, my ex-husband had a girlfriend in a home not too far from where we lived. Um, he was supporting her. He put her through school and, you know, bonuses and paychecks and things like that were being used to help cover those expenses. He was also working on the street at the time and, you know, we, he had a great income. So I guess you didn't, you didn't miss what you didn't have uh, was a little bit of it. And, you know, we were able to more than, you know, cover our living expenses without missing what was being used to support somebody else um, on the side. So it was a, it was an interesting exploration to come up with some numbers in order to try and understand exactly, you know, how much had been spent, you know, that I had no knowledge of at the time. <laughs> and so let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I, my, as I said to you, a lot of Covey women want mm-hmm. more financial advice. They want financial planning, mm-hmm. But whenever we put out there that we're going to do a workshop or we're going to do any uh, webinar in person, nobody shows up. They don't want to talk about it. I think there's a lot of sort of uncomfortability and maybe even shame about, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and look at you, you're a Wall Street executive and things can happen to you financially, even Mm -hmm. with you being at the top of the heap, knowing all this stuff. How do we approach that? How do we get over that? I think it's a, an issue for a lot of women. Right. And, and I agree the point that you made about shame. Um, you know, if I had a dollar for every time someone said to me, oh, I've just been so stupid, you know, I let so-and-so handle everything. Um, and, you know, I usually try to stop people right then and there and, you know, acknowledge that in our lives, you know, there's a division of labor that takes place in in families when you've got working people, uh, two working parents, and you've got children that need to be cared for it, and a lot of household responsibilities. And our society often divides it in two very distinct patterns. And it's very, you know, more often than not, the woman who doesn't end up being the one engaged with the finances. And, you know, I try to encourage people not to think that way, but that you were doing some things that were also incredibly important and money conversations are sometimes hard. Um, I think oftentimes people are very fearful of learning the reality or are afraid that they're not going to be able to understand the bits and pieces. And that causes them to get stuck as well. Um, You know, I, every 
family's financial world looks a little different, but it all has some basic principles to it. And I don't know that anything should need to cause fear. Um, it can certainly cause some changes to need to take place. Um, as we've learned, you know, if you're learn if you're living a little bit beyond your means, you might need to t- make some changes. Um, and for me, the first step is usually just acknowledging that you want to have this education, that you want to have this knowledge to be able to make better decisions, to be able to answer the question, am I going to be all right? It's the one that we all want to know one way or another. And if the answer right off the bat is, is mm, doesn't look so great, well, maybe there are some changes that can take place that don't have to you know, ruin the fun things in life, but there may be some trade-offs that can make that answer look a little better if you do make them. What do you find are the main issues when you work with women through divorce? What are the main issues um, that you've come up across and how have you helped women get out of it? What kind of specifics? Do you do specific courses? Do you do, is it each person on their own? Give us an idea. Um, I, I will start by saying that I think everybody's case tends to be a little bit different because as I said, the finance, family finances are different, but the basic principles are there. You've got a certain amount of expenses that are going to support your lifestyle or your children, you and your family's lifestyle. And then there's going to be income and, or potentially assets that support that. And what we have to figure out is how do those things blend together? Might you need to get a job in order to cover a gap? Might you need to sell a house in order to find something that is truly affordable. I mean, I I love to share the fact that I ditched the land yacht I was living in in a heartbeat because it was a house that was much too big for me to be able to afford. And yes, it was a tough transition for my kids. But you know what? They learned in the long run that we were in a much better place knowing that I wasn't fretting about trying to figure out how to get all the bills covered. So I think once you get beyond the, you know, shame of not being engaged and start to understand that, you know, there's bank accounts and there's different pieces of information that have to be pulled together and we can talk through what those look like and that there's different assets that every family has, whether it's a house or a bank account or a retirement account, how do those things all blend together? Um, And, you look at the different options and trade-offs and scenarios to determine which one's going to ultimately work best in the end. Uh, and sometimes it's you know almost like that visual of throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. You might try a couple of different choices or alternatives before you come up with a solution that is going to work best in the long run. At the root of all of this, in my mind, is understanding living expenses. You know, the the what keeps a a roof over your head, what keeps you getting back and forth to work or activities, your transportation, and then all the other personal expenses, both you know required like groceries and clothing, and then the fun things in life. I spend a lot of time, energy, and effort making sure we have a really good understanding of what someone's living expenses look like, um, because from there, everything else falls out of it. 
how much income do we need? You know, do the assets need to produce income? Uh, to me, that's the part that's the most scary for most people. You know, no one wants to have to figure out where did all the cash go from the ATM? But we can talk about different places that it might have gone and really help craft a picture. And I think the fear often comes from recognizing, holy cow, we were really spending more than we could have or should have. And there may be some changes that are going to have to take place in order to make things work a little better in the future. Um, I find with a lot of the divorcing women that I have worked with, they're extremely fearful about that first year and how it's all going to work out. And now being responsible for managing this uh, financial picture and making sure that all the bills get paid and, and making sure that you know nothing falls through the cracks. And one of the things that I love to do I guess mostly in a coaching fashion is helping get that online bill pay set up, helping make sure there's a list of what's going to be happening every month or quarter, uh, working with a good tax person um, back in the days when alimony was taxable to make sure that those payments were going to be covered and the savings set aside to do that. Uh, and I think that can inspire a lot of confidence when you have a sense of self-reliance and, and you get that moment of knowing I can do this. You know, I realized I didn't want to be part of the conversation before, but boy, I'm, I am totally capable of doing all of this because once you lay it out in, in sort of steps and in a fairly specific pattern, um, it becomes much easier. Um, I work with a lot of women one-on-one -on -one during their divorce um, and as part of the team with their attorneys or sometimes as a neutral in what's called collaborative divorce where one financial person basically pulls all the data together for everyone in the case. Uh, I do a few um, pro bono uh, workshops, you know, helping talk through the specific data that has to be gathered for divorce um, and I also do consultations over the phone or, you know, through Zoom these days, you know, helping someone get, make sure they've gathered the information they need, taking a look at the different pieces of information related to their financial picture and helping them form questions or uh, understand how something might work out if they did this versus that. So, it's not the depth and detail of working with someone in a divorce, but it can at least help them gather their thoughts and know how to move forward when they're ready to take that next step. And what do you find is the result for the women you're working with? First of all, what's their biggest fear? And then what have you seen them get to in the end? Have you, everybody, of course, I think fears being a bag lady at some point, yeah. right? So I assume yep, that yep. you don't have any bag ladies who ended up in that situation. So what was the worst that they ended up in? Did they have to go back to work when they hadn't been working for a long time? Or what's the worst case scenario you saw? Well, I think to the, you know, to the whole concept of reinvention, that's often something that has to happen for a lot of women as they're, you know, coming to terms with the idea that, the support that I'm receiving is going to leave a gap in my budget. And I, I really have to have the budget that we've projected 
So it is going to mean me going back to work and it may not be in the full-time type position I had, or I've been out of work for 20 years and what I did doesn't exist anymore. So there are plenty of times where someone has to really kind of think outside the box, perhaps get some new education, do some training, um, work with a coach to help them, you know, find the spark that's going to create whatever their next position is going to be. Um, It's certainly one of the hardest um, pieces of the puzzle that has to be fit in is where do I find that next position? Am I going to be happy in it? Will it bring in enough money? Um, And it's, it's one of the pieces that I think women struggle very hard with. They, you know, want to be able to be home with their kids, but sometimes it just can't work out that way. Um, What I have loved so much about working with um, women through whether it's the divorce process or in the financial planning process as well is being able to just instill that sense of self-confidence that you absolutely can get all of this, um, that it doesn't need to create a sense of fear, uh, that there is no dumb question. Um, Best to ask and get an answer. And if you don't understand the answer, ask again. Um, And if you still don't get an answer, then maybe you're working with the wrong person. Um, I know there's a lot of financial people who talk above the heads of their clients and they really, you know, you have to find that person who meets you at your level and is able to really work with you. There's also just that sense of independence, you know, of being able to be in control of something that you may never have been in control of before. And that isn't just, you know, um, your life. It's, and your, it's your life, your spending, how you spend your money. Uh, maybe you were in a situation where it was very controlled and every time you wanted to you know, get a new lipstick, it was scrutinized. Well, now you have the choice. You know, if you don't, if you want that, then that's great. And maybe you might not be able to do something else as an offset, but you're in the position of making that decision. And I think that that just is a tremendously freeing release for a lot of people who've, especially those that have been in kind of very tough situations of not having any financial freedom whatsoever. Um, And a sense of self-reliance, you know, knowing that, you know, you're on your own, you know, you're managing these, these things, you know, the train staying on the tracks and, you know, a fear that used to exist can be gone because that sense of self-confidence and self-reliance is there. Can you give any examples, Claudia? You don't have to name names, but just give a, a, you know, an example of somebody who thought they couldn't do it, that they finally did? I, I have, uh, there's a, an, um, one client who I love dearly and I'm, I'm very close to, I still work with her quite a bit, who, you know, was in a very similar situation to what I um, described. You know, there was an extremely controlling, very um, budget conscious spouse who, you know, every time you wanted to do something, it required almost like a permission slip. Um, and there was an allowance that you got. And if you didn't, if you spent your whole allowance, you, there wasn't anything left to do, you know, something that might be outside of the realm of the okay budget items. And, you know, that just, it, there was, a, the woman was almost paralyzed um, by the, 
by the lack of um, self-confidence that she had to make decisions, to make correct decisions, because more often than not, something would get purchased or money was spent, and then it was criticized. Um, I actually used to remember and laugh about the fact that she would often get a pie chart graph after a vacation showing exactly where all the money got spent while their family was on vacation. Um, oh my God, that's, that's crazy. Oh my yeah. goodness. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Wow. So, you know, for someone like this to now be free of all of that, you know, to know that, you know, these are, I have this pool of money to work with. I have this pool of assets. I have set up my online banking banking so that my bills are taken care of. I know what my needs are. I've got a savings account to cover my estimated taxes for my alimony. And, you know, that's, that's all automatically transferred, you know, just, it was like a blossoming of this amazing flower to see this person come out from under this cloud and shadow and like lift their face up to the sun and go, wow, I am enough. I can do this. Um, I know that I don't know, know the answers to all the questions, but I certainly feel comfortable asking the questions. Um, and, you know, there, it, that transformation is just, you know, uh, it's a joy to watch, but, you know, it's, it's just even more to behold someone making that um, amazing transformation. Uh, and being there to, to help support that happening as well. Have you seen any younger women behaving differently? Do you think this is just sort of a legacy of an older generation that was not quite sure if they were going to be in charge of their finances? Or are you finding the same thing going on with millennials? Uh, I have seen it also uh, in the millennial world as well. Not some, I, not so much in the um, divorce umbrella because the divorces tend to take place more late forties, fifties in terms of the ones I'm working with. But I have a lot of millennials come in for financial planning help. You know, they're, they're started a family. They've got some student loans. They want to buy a house or they have a house. They need to figure out how to save for college. They're not putting enough in their 401ks. And again, oftentimes, you know, the, the husband is driving the financial conversation and I'm looking at making sure that we're engaging the wife in the process. Uh, although I will say oftentimes it's the wife that's the one that reaches out because she knows that this is not taking the right path and wants to correct it, wants to become engaged, wants to be involved, fears that they're spending too much but isn't 100% sure, uh, wants to get a budget in place but doesn't know how to do it. Uh, so that's that's actually been the interesting difference um, is that I find it's often the women that come to me, but when you start to get into the nuts and bolts, they're not the ones that are the more engaged. So I think, again, you know, society pushes us off into two sort of distinct paths sometimes. And, you know, hopefully one one person at a time, we can change that a little bit. Absolutely. So as we come to a close on our talk about mm -hmm. this, what would you say, there are people listening who are thinking, gee, should I become a financial planner? I don't mm -hmm. have a background in that, or maybe I was on Wall Street 20 years ago too. Um, what would you say 
to that people trying to think about reinventing themselves that way? It's a fantastic career. I, I have been unbelievably blessed to have a wonderful group of clients that I've worked with, not only on an ongoing basis, but also some of the projects that I've done for people that may take a few hours and then, you know, I don't hear from them again. Uh, I believe doing the CFP is an incredibly important part of becoming a financial planner because there are models that you can get into that don't require that designation. I think it's a credential that people really do look for. I think the education gives you a good background in all the different aspects of what it takes to be successful uh, as a financial planner. And I can't say enough about how fulfilling it is to know that you've helped people answer tough questions or difficult questions or solve a problem as relates to their finances that probably will help them for the rest of their lives, especially when you're working with younger folks that, you know, you can make some changes early on that will benefit them, you know, out 10, 20, 30 years. Um, I don't think you have to necessarily have an, a financial background like I did. I know Many people who I'm very close with in the community locally and also across the country who came from all different kinds of backgrounds. In fact, one of the most prominent financial planners in the fee-only world, which is what I'm in, uh, used to be a physician and uh, is now got a very successful financial planning firm. So uh, lots of engineers like to become financial planners, but I also think given um, the psychological aspects of money, um, those with that background also can bring a ton to the table uh, when they're dealing with uh, people and their financial pictures. Interesting. So it's an interesting opportunity and it's not the barrier to entry is not too high. The toughest barrier to entry once you get past the exam is just finding that first position you know, finding that first spot to land where you can get some experience. And, you know, I encourage people to, you know, look at firms that are in their areas, not only the, you know, all the big brokerage firms now have got wealth management um, within their um, individual investor platforms where they've got financial planners working with clients. Um, and there's all different kinds of invest uh, wealth management firms that are doing it as well. Um, the CFP board is a great place to go look for people in their vicinity. Uh, as I did when I first got started, I just went out and did information interviews. People loved talking about what they loved about the business. And I found it really helpful to do that. Awesome. Well, Claudia, thank you so much for your help today. And how can people reach you if they want to reach out to you directly? Um, my Contact information is on my website, uh, which is www.eponafs.com. And uh, they're welcome to either get to me by email or my uh, phone number is up there. And I, I do love chatting with folks about how I can be of help. And what does Epona stand for? Because I would not be able to remember that myself. Oh, my gosh. Epona is that a long is, discussion? <laughs> no, I'll give you the short version. Epona is a Celtic goddess who is a protector of horses and is a symbol of abundance. And I found her after a friend suggested when I was looking to name my business, 
She said, go find yourself a goddess. And I hit the nomenclature trifecta with Epona because, as I said, I'm a horse fan. Right. Uh, she's usually found on a horse. Um, and what more would you want from someone helping you with your finances than someone that, pro, pro, you know, is a symbol of abundance? I so. love it. That's awesome. Great. <laughs> Thank you, Claudia. So appreciate the time. And um, I'm sure you will hear from some of our members and listeners. Well. Thank you so much, Leslie. This is a real treat, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. So hope you had a, a great time listening to Claudia Mott's story of her own reinvention and how she reinvents for others. And if you enjoyed it, I hope you'll subscribe to the Reinvention, Reinvent Yourself podcast. And if you like us, I hope you'll pass us along to friends who need reinvention ideas and reinvention advice. We've got it all, over 100 interviews. And the whole point is, it doesn't matter where you're starting, you can reinvent yourself and find deep satisfaction and happiness. And what I love is also, if you enjoy the podcast, come on over to the Covey Club. That's where we have fabulous writing by the best writers in the world. We have wonderful webinars that we do every week, which will educate you on everything from finances to how to handle your LinkedIn or write a resume in a modern way. And it could even be DIY beauty. It could be all those things that bring joy to your life at this stage. And I hope you will join us at Covey Club. So I will see you next time.